Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Flincham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. Cool. All right, she's recording. And it looks like I am also recording, and I'm going to set up that backup recording because, honestly, fuck audio mistakes. I am not living that life anymore. (laughs) You're preaching to the choir over here. I do uh, some audio with the assistance of our audio engineer at work sometimes, and Mm -hmm. yeah, when you can't hear much below 20 decibels, you're bound to make a few mistakes. (laughs) I can hear the really obvious stuff. Like, I can hear syllable, like, syllabins, I can hear plosives, I can hear some mispronunciations, but if it's, like, background noise or, you know, Mr. Sweetface back here purring, yeah. Mm, sweet baby, look at him. <gasps> look at that little potato. Gotta love that pussy. <laughs> you're mine. It's filthy. I love it. <laughs> I'm just talking about cats. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, damn, Wendy, get your mind out of the gutter. Hot damn. Okay, calling me out. So, on that note, welcome to another riveting episode of Fiddle and Pipe. I am your co-host, Brittany Ross, and with me today is not Catherine Flincham, unfortunately. She, I think she has the flu. She called me this morning, and she sounded like a chain smoker. Ooh, gnarly. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, so you're not recording today. That's fine. So instead, with me, I have Miss Wendy Tabor, which is super exciting. I don't think you've been on an episode. Well, we had that Patreon episode. Yep. But you haven't been on an episode since we did that Beethoven movie. Yes, it has been a while. I'm so excited. (laughs) So you haven't been on a Hobbit episode, so... Tell me, what are your feelings towards The Hobbit slash what is your history with The Hobbit? I, like most people, fell in love with Tolkien as a teenager. Like, watching the movies and eventually I picked up the books and I got into Lord of the Rings first before The Hobbit, which seems to be the case these days. And I absolutely love it. I personally think that Aragorn is a wonderful example of a good man. Gandalf is a delight, and I heart Bilbo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's a basic synopsis of the book right there. We don't even need to cover this section. It was really nice talking with you, and... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's going to be interesting, the dynamic of this episode. We have never done an episode where one of our co-hosts is missing. So this will be very exciting. I'm interested to see what this brings to the table. Today we read, or not today, hopefully previously, we read chapters 8 through 11, which I have to take my book out because I didn't take notes because I am a good podcaster and I do my research and I don't, you know, panic read a day or two before our recording sessions. I would never do that. Sure, Brittany, sure. I I do that. (laughs) That's what I do. So 
when we were talking about scheduling this episode, you made it sound like you have reread The Hobbit a million times or you have read it recently. I am rereading The Hobbit and I have seen the movies multiple times. In fact, when the second one came out into theaters, I saw it like three times in one week because I'm like a little nuts like that. So you are a total nut about the Tolkien, I mean, not the Tolkien, um, the Hobbit movies. I do love them. And like, who doesn't love Ian McKellen? And especially um, in The Desolation of Smog. Like, Benedict Cumberbatch did a boss job getting on that special effects suit, putting so much effort into being a dragon. And also, like, who doesn't love Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman together? That's true. It's interesting, though, that you hold the movies in such high regard because I feel like I've talked to more people who grew up reading The Hobbit and then didn't like the movies. My personal thing with the movies is... I like that they were a representation of what I grew up with on screen. However, they did turn a 150-page book into three two-and-a-half-hour-long movies. That's Peter Jackson for you. That's just how he rolls. I was like, damn. And so much of it was not in the book, which I understand and I appreciate film and books don't need to be the same. There are two different forms of media. But it just seemed like it was almost a totally different story. In some ways, it definitely was, and I also think that there were some parts of the story that could have been explored more deeply. Like, don't get me wrong, Orlando Bloom is a very pretty man, like, unnaturally pretty. Yeah. But I think more time with his relationship with the Elf King would have been really interesting. Mm -hmm. Exploring a bit more of his relationship with Toriel, and then maybe focusing a little bit less on this kind of awkward I don't even know what to call it I can't call it a romance you know barely started love between her and one of the dwarves I think it was Philly a brief blue ball affair aptly put (laughs) (laughs) you could always count on Brittany to be honest (laughs) that is my thing I guess I totally blocked that part of the movie out because I didn't remember it until you said it. And I was like, oh, yeah, there was a really awkward romance, not romance. Or I was kind of like, why is this happening? (laughs) Yeah, blue ball affair is the way to put it. I wanted to see more of Legolas and his relationship with his father because, like, screw this whole will-they-won't-they love triangle bullshit. Mm -hmm. You're gonna put Orlando Bloom in a Hobbit movie, give him some more substance like in Lord of the Rings. Come on. I mean, he's like an A-list actor, so he probably costs a billion dollars, but at the same time, I'm sure they had the budget for it. Yeah. I feel like that was a misuse. They could have just cast someone else for that. Yeah, probably. Or not but the case was great as the king. Yeah, I haven't watched the movies since they came out, so I really should probably rewatch them again. Indeed, it it's definitely worth the rewatch and like watching the movies while reading the books. It's a really interesting kind of compare and contrast study between the different writing styles. And in my eyes, like Tolkien painted a beautiful world, and part of why I 
kind of like The Hobbit a little bit more than Lord of the Rings is I like the way the story in The Hobbit is narrated and told. I It kind of feels like Tolkien, who I picture as the narrator, is right there with you as you're reading the adventures. It's like two friends watching a really good movie together and they're talking about it because they got the whole theater to themselves, you know? Yeah, I guess let's dive right into it. So we have chapter eight, Flies and Spiders, which is probably about flies and spiders. Quite literal chapter title, if you ask me. They are stuck in this forest. Very stuck. Yeah, they're super stuck. They're wandering around. There's nowhere to go. They're running out of food. They're also running out of water, which is unfortunate. Indeed. Kind of something you need to live. And they start seeing these fires. Actually, no, I lied. Before the fires even start, they do have that water incident. So... Explain the water incident to us. After they leave Bjorn's, I think that's how you pronounce his name, they leave the big giant hairy bear man's cabin. Yeah. He advises them of the dangers of the Mirkwood. And it's very dense, it's very dangerous, you can get lost, so stay on the path and watch out for this stream where the water is black. Do not drink from it, do not go in it. Yeah, I mean, if I see black water, the first thing I'm not going to do is drink it. Exactly. And because these poor dwarves are going on a journey, which, as you read, well, at least reread, it can come off a bit like a comedy of errors because Gandalf is not around. Poor Bobber. Whenever anything bad happens, Gandalf just fucks off. So whenever he just goes to do his quote-unquote business... You're like, oh, well, shit's gonna go down. As much as I love Gandalf, I do get annoyed at how often he just kind of, like, fucks off. (laughs) Because that's what he does. He literally just fucks off. He's basically, like, too overpowered. If he was there, they would not have any kind of conflict in the book. Exactly. But still, poor Bomber. He falls in. (laughs) They're trying to cross this stream because doesn't it the path that they're trying to go on the party was on one side and there was a boat that was on the other and they had some rope and like a hook mm-hmm. and they grabbed philly and his brother killy are the youngest of the party mm-hmm. and philly manages to get the rope into the boat and they managed to get the boat over to the other side of the stream Mm-hmm. And they start bringing their stuff and themselves over in groups. The funny thing is they they make another fat comment about Bomber, which, I mean, this book was written in, I think it was published in 1937. So it's like, yeah, it makes sense. And honestly, to me, these days, it's still funny, but it's not something that you're going to see in a book that's written in modern day. Bilbo says, who will cross first? I shall, said Thorin, and you will come with me, and Feely and Balin. That's as many as the boat will hold at a time. After that, Keely and, oh my god, and Oin and Gloin and Dory. Next, Ori and Nori, Biffer and Bofer, and last, Dwalin and Bomber. I'm always last, and I don't like it, said Bomber. It's somebody else's turn today. You should not be so fat. <laughs> I was like, okay. As you are, you must be with the last and the lightest boatload. 
Don't start grumbling against orders or something bad will happen to you. Foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, god damn, I think this is like the third comment that Tolkien has made about Bomber being fat. And I'm like, god damn, this guy does not get a break. That's kind of why he's my favorite of the dwarves, because you just want to go and hug him. I feel so bad for him. So they go in in, like, groups of, like, twos. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a theme here, where they always travel in groups of, like, twos or threes or so. And then, since Bomber is so heckin' large... (laughs) And in charge. No, not really. That's Thorin. (laughs) Yeah, no, not not even remotely in charge. Like, I think he's the (laughs) bitch of the party. (laughs) He always gets, like, the shortest stick possible. Poor guy. So there's this deer that runs across the stream, and everyone's like, oh, fuck, food. So they try to shoot at, shoot at it, and Bomber, I think he's crossing while the deer is jumping, and he just kind of, like, panics and then falls into the river, and no one notices except for Bilbo, who's like, oh my god, he's drowning. Bilbo is truly a sensitive soul and a consummate gentleman for pointing this out. Well, isn't he, like, the only one who can really see super well, too? He has sharper vision than the dwarves, but still, like, I feel like if Bilbo didn't say anything, nobody would have noticed that Bomber was in trouble. Yeah, couldn't you hear splashing and thrashing around? Exactly. Hmm. (laughs) We should maybe look into this a little bit more. I agree. He's in the water, they can still see his hood. And they toss in the rope and hook towards him, and he, they manage to catch it. Thank God. This poor thing is like 200 pounds plus being soaking wet. I'm just guessing here, because, I mean, he's a dwarf. Yeah, and he says several times how fat he is, so it must be, like, pretty large. <laughs> if round was a shape, it would be bomber. <laughs> Bomber-shaped item. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) And by the time they pull him onto the bank, he's already, like, passed out because the water that he fell in is enchanted or drugged somehow. I like how we're like, I guess it's drugged. (laughs) They just put so much roofie in the water. (laughs) That it's now permanent. You fall in, you fall asleep, most likely die. The thing that I think is funny is that, um... Bjorn definitely told them not to drink the water, but he never said specifically what would happen if they did or if they touched the water. So they're like, ah, don't touch it. And then he falls in and Bomber's just like, where the fuck am I? (laughs) Who am I? (laughs) (laughs) What am I? What are we doing here? What is Bomber? That poor guy. His memory is wiped out basically to, I think the last thing he remembers is the meeting at Bilbo's house. Yeah, That's all he remembers is, like, everything from that point on was just completely scrubbed away from his memory. And he's out of it for quite a while after this. Mm -hmm. And once they pull him onto shore, he's down for the count. And the rest of the party is like, get that deer, get that deer. But then no more arrows and the bows are now useless. No more arrows, and I think they they either killed or seriously maimed the deer, and they since they got distracted with Bomber, they can't figure out where the deer went. Because no one can see anything, which is really unfortunate. 
The Mirkwood is aptly named because it is quite murky. You cannot see. And it's wood. That too. Because trees. (laughs) (laughs) This is the content that y'all have come to love from Fiddle and Pipe. (laughs) We break down things that can be broken down easily. (laughs) And then some. (laughs) And then some. (laughs) Oh my gosh. They take turns kind of half carrying, half like putting their arms around and helping Bomber along because... Not only does he not remember anything, but like you said, he's just so out of it. He is, it's basically amnesia. Amnesia of the mind and apparently of the body because he cannot move. Yeah, it's like uh, paralysis or like, um, I want to say necromancy, but that's not right. The disease where you just fall asleep. Narcoleptic. Narcoleptic. Yes. Not the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) They keep going along, and this is when they hear some singing. So they're like, oh shit, there's other people here. Hey, Bilbo, do you want to go get yourself into some shit? And Bilbo's like, I guess. Not really, but I guess. Gotta do what you gotta do. Well, he is the burglar. (laughs) It's funny, because Tolkien's like, of course, somebody meant Bilbo. (laughs) (laughs) They have him climb the trees to see if there's any kind of end in sight and he gets to the top and he's just so astounded that there's sunlight that he forgets to look around and then he looks around he's like oh fuck it's just trees everywhere but in the movie it's honestly one of the most beautiful shots like it was very well executed and just the look and wonder on martin freeman's face is you can tell that he was fully immersed in Bilbo and just enjoying the beauty of it. But again, with beautiful things, they can be distracting, you know, for the task at hand. Mm-hmm. And the poor thing, being only half the size of a regular human, he gets a little bit anxious because, well, he just climbed a really tall tree and he is like a cat and he's a little bit terrified of getting down. Mm-hmm. Honestly, same. (laughs) I would too. But that's just because I'm clumsy. (laughs) And then he's like, oh wait, maybe I should actually look around and see where we are. And he looks around and there's trees everywhere. So he's like, oh god. So then he goes back down and he's like, oh, the forest goes on forever and ever in all directions. We're, We're screwed. And the dwarves aren't happy. No, they all kind of cry a little bit. And they're they're literally running out of supplies because the next section starts that night they ate their very last scraps and crumbs of food. And the next morning when they awoke, the first thing they noticed was that they were still gnawingly hungry. And the next thing was that it was raining and that here and there the drip of it was dropping heavily on the forest floor. That only reminded them that they were also parchingly thirsty without doing anything to relieve them. You cannot quench a terrible thirst by standing under giant oaks and waiting for a chance drip to fall on your tongue. They're up the creek. Or as we say in the South, the crick. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing worse than this would be going into Lake Ontario and then coming out with a third arm. Does that happen? Oh, dude, Lake Ontario's polluted as hell. Like, only the brave venture in there. Nothing like polluting our bodies of water. (laughs) Especially since the Great Lakes are very important. But not as important as 
the scrap of comfort that our dwarves and hobbits get when Bomber wakes up, scratching his head, wondering why he felt so hungry, and that he had literally forgotten everything since they started their journey. I mean, can you imagine waking up not knowing where you are or what's going on and just feeling extremely hungry? What he's about to do, I'm sure I would do about. I would do the same thing. I do it every Monday morning. (laughs) (laughs) You just charge them where there's food? (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So Bomber's like, why did I wake up? I was having dreams about food and feasts and people and comfort and everything nice in the world. And everyone's like, well, sucks. That's not where we're at. So he was going to walk around to see if any part of his dream was real and Thorin's like uh you shouldn't do that and you should stop talking about food because we're all starving and fuck you just so you guys know Brittany is paraphrasing a little bit (laughs) (laughs) do you want to say what he actually says you need not try said Thorin in fact if you can't talk about something else you had better be silent we are quite annoyed enough with you as it is if you hadn't waked up waked up we should waked up (laughs) old english (laughs) i know i we should have left you to your idiotic dreams in the forest you were no joke to carry even after weeks of short commons yeah so exactly what i said (laughs) just longer and more old englishy and without the (laughs) f-bomb hey we are an explicit podcast (laughs) i can drop the f-bomb as much as i want to (laughs) this is also a kid's book so you're not gonna find that in this book (laughs) even though it reads like something adults would enjoy and they do that's what you really need to do when you're making kids books and kids movies and such is because you know that parents are gonna read or watch it with their kids so you need to put something in it for them too pixar does this very well yeah disney pixar and these poor guys They're pissed. They're tired. They're hungry. They're terrified. And poor Bomber has a temper tantrum. (sighs) Mood. I mean, there's always someone like that in the group. Where you're just like, okay, you know, our circumstances really suck, but we're just gonna make do. And this is awful, but we'll be fine. And there's always someone in the group who's like, no, this literally sucks and tries to bring everyone else down. And I'm surprised they didn't just leave them in the forest. (laughs) I feel like if it was down to, like, Thorin, Bilbo, and Bomber, I feel like Thorin would would have left him in the woods. Probably. So this is when they see a red light in the distance. And they're like, oh, wow, there might be other people here. It says they hurried along then, not caring if it was trolls or goblins. So I think they were just so desperate for communication because they knew that if they got in touch with other people there might be food or something which i understand you know dire situation calls for a dire reaction i get it like they say desperate times call for desperate measures and food and lack thereof make people do crazy things Mm -hmm. because of all this it results in some arguing for a long time until they finally come up with a plan to send some scouts to creep near the lights and find out more about them. 
Yeah, they're nervous because they don't know, A, who these people are, and B, because these lights are off the path that they were explicitly told not to veer off of. But I guess their perspective is like, if we're just going to stay on the path, we're probably going to starve to death. So we need to do something, which I get that. I feel like if you're if you're left with two bad options, you got to pick the less bad option and going off your path so that we don't start to death versus staying on the path that you were like explicitly told to stay on, but with no provisions. I can understand why they made the decision they did. I would do the same thing if I were in their situation as well. Yeah, same. They send some scouts and they say that there's a lot of people and they are wearing all natural colors and there's a big feast and there's torches and there's food and there's light and there's dancing and they're having fun and they're drinking and everything's great. But someone steps into the clearing and then the fire goes out and then like all the people just vanish. Just like that. Unfortunate. It really is. And... Because they get so startled by how quickly they disappear, they blunder about, falling over, crashing into things. You know, usually what Mm -hmm. happens when I wake up at 6am because of my cat. (laughs) (laughs) But by the time they figure out what happened and they reorient themselves, they get a little bit lost until morning. Mm -hmm. So they settle down for a while and... Then Dory, who was on first watch, he notices lights again and that there were actually a lot more of them. Mm -hmm. They heard the voices and the laughter and they saw the lights and in a single line, they all crept slowly towards it. Mm -hmm. And Thorin, being Thorin, tells him, no rushing forward. No one is to stir from hiding until I say. And then they send Mr. Baggins alone first. They won't be frightened of him because he is a hobbit. And poor Bilbo. He thinks, what about me of them? And (laughs) hope that they won't do anything nasty to him. Oh my gosh. Poor guy. Yeah, he's always getting the short end of the stick. It's unfortunate, but I guess it is the job that he kind of signed up for. I don't think he necessarily signed up for it. I think he was coerced. I think he was voluntold. Coerced, voluntold. What's really the difference, Brittany? (laughs) That's true. That's true. We're just splitting hairs at this point. (laughs) Speaking of splitting hairs, Bilbo was also splitting hairs because he was having the same thoughts. It's kind of funny because Bilbo didn't really have a choice in the matter. They sort of pushed him into the clearing and the same thing happened. The lights went out. They couldn't collect themselves. They lost a dwarf, but I guess it's not a big deal. Well, I mean, there's 13 dwarves and a hobbit, so it's a lot to keep track of. Mm Mm-hmm. After that, they kind of collect themselves, and then they see the light again. Which, seriously, this was the point where I was like, I don't retain media well, and I was wondering if... I forgot what this was, so I was like, is this an illusion? Is it some evil magic? Because, I mean, this is like evil forest dark scary forest so i was like is this something trying to purposely lead them off the path like what's going on here they do eventually find the lights and it's killy who finds them again there's singing and harps and they tried yet again because apparently the third time's the charm eh? (laughs) i mean that's a saying for a reason 
And what they did notice on the third time is the feast got even bigger. And they see the Woodling King with his truly very fabulous golden hair. Totes fab. Oh, totally. Hair birds. <laughs> <laughs> Thorin, being the ballsy leader that he is, he steps into their midst and they disappeared again. Mm-hmm. And then it's a hubbubaloo. A hubbubaloo? <laughs> I haven't heard that word in a long time. Okay. My Wendyisms are very powerful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so how is this a hubbubaloo? <laughs> well, because after they spot Thorin, everything goes out again. And it's chaos because they're all like disoriented from the pretty fires and the food and then they're all running around mm-hmm. Bilbo found himself running round and round as he thought and calling and calling Dory, Nori, Ori, Oin Bloin, Philly, Killy, Bomber, Pfeiffer, Bofer, Dwalin Balin, Thorin Oakenshield while he could not see or feel were doing the same all around him with the occasional Bilbo thrown in I feel like poor guy is an afterthought to a lot of these dwarves yeah, he's super disoriented, and it. he says that it sounds like everyone's getting farther away, but he's not really sure, and then he's just left alone in total silence. Which, if you're lost in a dark-ass forest by yourself, and you don't know where your friends are, and you're still hungry, that would be the worst. Yeah, that's right, you'd probably go die. Yeah, I'd be like, well... It was nice. It was nice being here. It was nice knowing everyone. These woods have been nothing but bad to me. Um, I'm piecing out. <laughs> deuces. <laughs> then this is where things go from already particularly bad to, honestly, I think this is the part where the shit hit truly hits the fan here. Yeah. Spiders. Yeah, because he decides logically that there's nothing that can be done until he you know gets some rest kind of thinks things through which is a sound decision i mean you're panicked you're emotionally spent you're probably physically weakening just go to sleep if you can but he starts to feel some like strong sticky string like substance on his hands and he starts moving starts waking up and he finds that his feet are already wrapped in it and then the, he starts talking about, like, big spiders. Big. Scary. Terrifying. If you're afraid of spiders, I wouldn't blame you if you skipped this part of the book. Or this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Content warning. <laughs> Content warning. Spiders. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the spider tries to drag Bilbo away, I guess. And Bilbo's like, not today, evil spider. And starts to... Try to, you know, smack it away as you do. Try to get the the webbing off of his hands and his feet. And then he's like, oh, wait, I have a sword. <laughs> <laughs> and then, arguably, this is a huge turning point for Bilbo. Because he did everything up until this point just because he had to. Mm-hmm. Not because he absolutely, like, needed to protect himself. Yeah. Because he was always timid and, af- and afraid and like, why, 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 just give me food. Mm-hmm. And he 
fights off the spider and the sword that he was given is eventually passed on to Frodo Mm -hmm. in Lord of the Rings. And this is where the sword got its name. It's because of this. Sting. Yeah, because he's basically, like, quickly stabbing the spider. And he's like, oh, well, I shall give you a name, he said to it, and I shall call you Sting. Which is long okay, that's cute. I think it suits. He's like, well, I killed the spider, and then... He's like, well, I guess I better figure out what's going on and where my friendos are. So he starts wandering around and doesn't feel comfortable shouting, obviously, because he just got attacked by a big fucking spider. So I don't blame him. And he keeps wandering around. He puts on the ring, keeps on moving, keeps on wandering around, and he sneaks up on two spiders. And they're talking to each other. Because spiders can talk to each other. Because this is Tolkien's world. I mean, it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about, like, the dwarves and how they'll make fine eating and how they're strung up, bound in their spider webbiness. Mm-hmm. And they're hanging from the trees, like what you do after you successfully hunt a deer. Mm-hmm. Bilbo was obviously horrified, and everybody is covered, except for their feet and parts of their faces. Yeah, I think he said, like, some noses were pointing through. Or a beard, or the top of a hood. And poor Bomber gets crapped on again because of his weight. To the fattest of these bundles, (laughs) the spider went. It is poor old Bomber, I'll bet, thought Bilbo, and nipped hard at the nose that stuck out. There was a muffled yelp inside, and a toe shot up and kicked the spider straight and hard. There was life in Bomber still. Poor Bomber. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case you didn't understand that he's fat, he's really fat. (laughs) There was a noise like the kicking of a flabby football. Nice. And the enraged spider fell off the branch, only catching itself with its own thread just in time. Poor Bomber. (laughs) And the spiders are just reveling in the fact that this is, to them, a hilarious situation that their meat is alive and kicking. Well, they have all this food, so they're just super happy. Honestly, I would be happy, too, if if there were that many bags of chips in that large amount of quantities. I want some chips. <laughs> so Bilbo is sitting there and he's like, what? What am I supposed to do? Because there's, a, I think there's two spiders here, right? Mm-hmm. And all of his friends are wrapped up, hanging upside down in webbing. He's like, what do I do? So he grabs some rocks and starts throwing them at the spiders to distract them. It works. And then he's like, wait, maybe I can lead them away. So he starts singing this song where he calls them Addercops and Tom Naughties. I mean, this must be yield English, but I had no idea what these meant. And Tolkien definitely makes it a point to say that calling the spiders these things really pissed them off. So I was like, okay, if someone called me an adder cop, I would have no idea. I'd be like, are you calling me a police officer? <laughs> like, what is going on? So I looked it up. An adder cop is a spider or an ill-natured person. And a Tom Naughty is an Atlantic puffin. Or a fool or a dunce. 
In Canada, we call people like that hosers. In Canada, the term hoser, it's like the equivalent of redneck, basically. Ah, good old white trash. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure down here, like a tonnati would just be like... You Brit or something? Huh? Like, if if I were, like, a southerner and I got called a Tom Naughty, I would probably ask you British or something. Oh, I thought you were asking me. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you? I would think a Tom Naughty would be, like, a drink of some sort. Probably because it sounds like hot toddy. I could see the parallel here. Yeah, apparently Adderkop is, uh, like, a racial slur for spider. <laughs> Or just a real mad person. A real brat. It's kind of interesting, though. Like, like Tolkien was English, and this book was written, like, decades ago. And it's really interesting to see how, like, in Canada and the U.S. and Great Britain, we're united by a common language, but our dialects have evolved mm -hmm. quite a bit. Not just culturally, but even, like, in small blips in time. Like, we're English speakers and we would never use this kind of language. So I see that a lot. Um, David, my husband, works for a British company. And even though they have a branch in Atlanta, most of, like, his bosses and upper management are English. Like, have moved here from England. So there's a lot of things that they say like they literally call elevators lifts vacations or holidays and david since he spends you know 60 hours a week with them he picks up some of these things and then he brings it home and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> it's kind of interesting too that he's been able to pick that up and like in canada we still use a lot of British terms to describe things. Like, we have various parts of our government, they're called ministries. And, like, in the US, like, Department of. Yeah. And in the UK, it's still the same thing, like, ministries and such. Um, we do call our elevators, like, elevators and stuff like that, but we kept the letter U in a lot of our words. Color. I actually read somewhere that the reason why America stopped using the letter U in certain words is because it was an extra character. Like for telegrams and such would cost more money. Huh. So they just started slashing the letter U out of words to save money. The more you know. Typography history. <laughs> oh my gosh. So he's, yeah, he's running around and singing at them calling them fat, calling them idiots. Because he's still wearing the ring. So they hear him singing, they have no idea where he's coming from. So he just like wanders away singing and throwing rocks at them and then they wander off after him. And then he goes back and he's like, okay, how can I get my friends out of the web? And there was precious little time for him to do it. And the part that kind of freaked him out was he has to climb up the trees to go and cut them down. Mm -hmm. And that was his next job. He cut down Philly first, and Philly is all, like, a wet noodle. Mood. Because he was also drugged. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a mood. <laughs> well, they're, they're all poisoned because of the spider, po the spider bites. Yep. And 
they're all kind of freaked out by the fact that they've been hanging upside down. They've been drugged and... And they can't really move very well because all the blood is like pulled on their heads and they haven't moved their limbs in how long? Probably 12 hours at this point. I would get a hell of a migraine from that. I think you would pass out, realistically. Probably. Gradually, they all get cut free because they all started to help each other. Mm-hmm. Poor Bomber gets shit on again. <laughs> <laughs> Three times in the same chapter. Poor old Bomber was so exhausted. He was the fattest and had been constantly pinched and poked that he just rolled off the branch and fell plop onto the ground, fortunately onto leaves, and lay there. Uh, he starts attacking the spiders and he starts stabbing them with Sting and the other dwarves who are able to... And it's kind of questionable. Some of them aren't really able to, but they start getting like sticks and rocks and throwing stuff at the spiders and they try killing them as best as they can. They are killing some, but they are very much outnumbered. So Bilbo doesn't see any other thing to do, but tell them about the ring and tell them about his plan to basically lead the spiders away again. So he puts the ring on, starts yelling and singing at them again, starts throwing rocks at them to try to lead them away. The dwarves start going the other way, but the spiders start chasing them. Spiders become afraid of Sting. And rightfully so. I don't know how many spiders there are because it never really says, but I assume there's 50 to 100. But they somehow managed to kill at least six, but there wasn't specifically how many more than that. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of wondering because they definitely talk about a horde of spiders. I'm like, okay, how much is a horde of giant spiders? Like, because a horde could be like 10 or it could be like 50. (laughs) Is the horde the same thing as a murder? Is it the same thing as a puggle? We need a little more detail here. Come on, Tolkien. This is the detail that we need. We don't (laughs) need five pages about an oak door. We need to know the specific number of spiders in this chapter. (laughs) Priorities. We have them. (laughs) They managed to escape the spider's by going into a previous ring of one of these fighter fires and i guess the spiders are turned off to the the magic that surrounds the fires so they go away at that point they're they're safe and the dwarves start demanding answers they're like you know okay so you have this ring so you get invisible like what happens so bilbo fills them in on the whole interaction with Gollum, fills them in on how he used the ring to escape the goblins fills him in on basically every detail everything that he's done about like with the ring so far and at this point they start getting pretty impressed with him they're like okay you know what you're doing we underestimated you and then they notice where's thorin yeah (laughs) and they don't realize it until they start until they start falling asleep which is like did you really not realize that (laughs) your leader was not with you adrenaline makes you forget things Yeah, that's true. But what happened to Thorin was he was captured much faster than his friends. Mm Mm-hmm. And as Bilbo was falling asleep as he stepped into the circle of light, Thorin followed and he went funk. Mm Mm-hmm. The way Tolkien describes it is he fell like a stone enchanted. It turns out it was the wood elves who caught him, bound him, and spirited him away. Yeah, and this is when we find out that the Wood Elves were the people around the fires, too. Thorin's been kidnapped by Wood Elves, which sucks. Rest in peace. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then he goes on to describe that they're a little bit different than the High Elves. Yada yada world building. 
we switch to Thorin's point of view where they say that the king of the wood elves really liked treasure, but they didn't really participate in any kind of trade or making jewels or really anything exciting. So they get it through stealing it, I assume. And he's like, oh, you're a dwarf. You're very in on treasure. Like, tell me what treasure you have. Tell me why you're in these woods. Thorin's like, I, you know, we only enroached on you and your campfire because we were starving and we were hoping to beg for food. And then the king's like, well, you know, why were you in the forts in the first place? And Thorin doesn't want to say, oh, we're headed to get all of our family jewels from a dragon. So he just zips it and they give him food and water, which is super nice of them, but they lock him up until he says why he's in the forest. And well, relieved of that, it also just kind of goes to show how frozen in time the wood elves are Mm -hmm. because they have these beautiful woods, their palace is beautiful, they've obviously shown some kind of talent in crafting, but the Elven King is delusional, in my opinion. Yeah, I can see that. Wow, this was a super long chapter. I forgot how long that chapter was. My Kindle pegged it at like 45 minutes of reading time. Oh my god. Yeah. Um. So that brings us to chapter 9, which is Barrels Out of Bond. <laughs> we get to our friends. They are... Trying to figure out what happened to Thorin. Because they don't know. They don't have the inside narration scoop like we do. And then... What else surround them? Take them prisoner. Which I guess is kind of good. Because... It brings them to Thorin. And food. Yeah. And food. (laughs) They get captured, but Bilbo slips the ring on before they can really account for him. So they just think that there's three dwarves there. So they bring him to their... I don't know what you call it. Fortress? Castle? Dwelling? Palace? Cave? Palace? Housing? (laughs) It's their residence, if you will. Yes. They they basically do the same thing to the dwarves there, where they're like, okay, why are you here? And all the other dwarves claim up, don't really say anything. So they, you know, put them in a different part of the palace from Thorin, but they do the same thing. They feed them and give them water. But they keep interrogating them, like, why are you here? Yada yada. Bilbo spends his time wandering around the castle, because I guess he's just invisible man now. He tries to slip in and out, which he does, but he makes a point to say that the drawbridge or gate closes really fast. So he only does that a couple times because he's worried about either getting caught in it or not being able to get back in, because the only time he can go back in is if you know, elves are entering or leaving, which is fun. So he basically just runs around and steals food and lives a life and tries to figure out what's going on. On one of these explorations, what he does find is he finds Thorin in a different part of the palace or castle or residence or dwelling or tunnel or dungeon (laughs) or (laughs) looking for more synonyms. Cinnamons. (laughs) Cinnamons. <laughs> and Thorin is honestly dudes at rock bottom. Yeah. They don't really say how long that he's been there for. He's been there for at least a week by this point, and he's just miserable. Well, Tolkien does say 
Yeah, eventually after a week or two of the sneaking sort of life. So, yeah, he's been there for, like, at least two weeks. Which sucks. I mean, it's basically, like, solitary confinement. Yeah, pretty much. But at the end of the day, Thorne was happy to see Bilbo, and he runs around playing messenger. Mm-hmm. Thorin had taken heart of, again, of hearing how the Hobbit had rescued everybody from the spiders. And Thorin, even though he's still at rock bottom, he did have a shred of pride left. Mm-hmm. He gets, like, new life knowing that the other dwarves are trapped there, too, and that Bilbo's at least, like, free. Yeah. So he's like, tell everyone to bear down and make sure that they don't tell them anything about why we're here and we'll figure something out. Bilbo will figure something out because it's always Bilbo. You know, you think that Thorin would have more brains, but no, at the end of the day, it's Bilbo. He's the smart one here. Yeah, I mean, that's basically why they hired him. Yep. Sneaky and smart. Bilbo tells everyone else, like, hey, Thorin's here and you know, still don't tell the king about what's going on. They're like, yeah, cool. Rad. Um, they're like, yeah, you got this. You can figure it out. And Bilbo's like, why Why do I always have to figure it out? Why Why me? And Bilbo's like, well, I guess I'm just going to keep wandering around because that's what I've been doing. So he keeps wandering around. He finds a secret passageway out of the palace. It, they make it sound like it's, it's in a higher level of this place and it's a water chute. The wood elves love drinking wine, but don't make wine. So they import wine from men in a town who live down the river. Somehow, I don't think they really said, or my reading comprehension is low. Let me know which one it is. Where they didn't really say how the wine gets to the elves, because it's really hard to get anywhere in this forest, but how they get the wine barrels back to the men is they put them in this water chute, which goes down the river, which I guess this is not the poisonous river. No, it's not. (laughs) It goes down until it gets to the town, and then they take it and fill up with wine, and then the process recycles itself. And with these barrels of wine comes the inkling of a... Well... As Tolkien would put it, the desperate beginnings of a plan. I mean, it is better than any other plan they've thought of previously because they haven't thought of any other plan previously. Yeah, that's actually true. Everything was spur of the moment. Yeah, and you gotta do what you gotta do. So Bilbo's thinking about this water gate when he's in this attic-like structure and there's the butler and the chief of the guards and the butler's like... Well, I need to take this new wine to the king, but, you know, why don't we try sampling it? Because we don't want to give bad wine to the king. (laughs) And the guard is like, yeah, let's sample it. And they end up blasted, like really drunk, because this wine is really high alcohol content compared to normal wine, I guess. (laughs) I also think that those two might be alcoholics. The way that he made it sound was that they filled up like beer steins of of wine when your normal pour of wine is like four to five ounces and having like a 16 ounce pour of wine is basically a bottle of wine okay so for the canadians here yeah we all know what a 16 ounce wine is and four ounce wine because we use pints and stuff like that up here (laughs) I mean, we use pints here, but you don't order a pint of wine. I know, but still, I felt the need to. 
say something about that because, you know, metric system. <laughs> I knew we were going to somehow get the metric system involved, and this was it. How many centimeters of wine is it? <laughs> Wrong method of measurement. <laughs> Okay, well, it's about two inches of wine, so I don't know why I can say that and you can't say centimeters. I think my system is better, so... Your system's more hilarious, that's for sure. You should see the look on her face. You are hurting my feelings right now, and I don't appreciate this level of sass. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, so they're probably drinking, like, so... Especially if they have, like, beer steins, that's more than a pint. That's probably, like, a pint and a half of beer. Because have you ever seen those, like, German beer stein things? Oh, yeah, those things are huge. Yeah, they're huge. They hold more than a pint of beer. Like, easily. Yeah, they hold a lot of beer. Yeah, so if that's what they're drinking out of, they're drinking, like, over a bottle of wine-ish. My liver and my brain are talking to each other, trying to comprehend how much booze that is. <laughs> and he also says that it's a higher alcohol content than normal wine. So not only are they drinking a shit ton of it, but it is higher alcohol content. So it's like, hot damn, they are just, they are blasted. Like, they literally fall asleep. One of them just straight up falls asleep, and the other one just keeps talking without realizing that the other has, like, zonked out, and he just falls asleep too. So then Bilbo's like, well, now's my chance. And before we get off this scene, this is not something you would find in a kid's book nowadays. Is like characters getting like hilariously drunk. And I was thinking about it. I mean, probably when did we really become aware of like the side effects of heavy drinking and alcoholism? As a societal thing, when did that start being a negative instead of like an accepted part of life? My theory about that would be when the issues that can arise with that started being called out and the birth of AA, which, if I remember correctly, was right around the time of the publication of this book. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna look it up. I said if I remember correctly. (laughs) We're gonna do a new segment called Brittany Google Something. Hey, I would watch that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Alcoholics Anonymous was founded in 1935. Yeah. Yeah, two years before this book was published. Maybe alcohol was already starting to be less of a normal thing at this point, but I'm sure it was part of the day-to-day lifestyle more than it is today. A lot more. Back in, like, the 30s. Honestly, I think it's still a part of the lifestyle, but it's less obvious because now that enough decades have passed that... People are becoming more aware and starting to notice these things. Mm-hmm. AA is still in full force and they take um, anonymity very seriously, though. Mm-hmm. It's just for the protection of people, like the people who are in it. And for the friends and family group, anonymity is also just as important because I can tell you um, from my own experiences of volunteering and helping that things can get pretty ugly. Right. Like, at the time, it was still kind of normal behind closed doors to be a total douche canoe when you're drunk Mm -hmm. and around your family. A douche canoe? (laughs) (laughs) Again, the Wendyisms. But the point here, kids, is if you think you have a problem, you probably do. 
Yeah. So they're, they're like super blasted and Bilbo's like, um, okay, I'm going to steal these keys. So he steals the keys and he gets Thorn out and then he proceeds to get all the other dwarves out and tells them the plan. And the plan is that they're going to go down the river in wine barrels. Which is quite terrifying to think about because going over water and poor Bilbo nearly, you know, getting lost and drowned, going over the waterfall with these guys. And the dwarves are not happy because they're being shoved into a small confined space Mm -hmm. with concerns for air. They're already sore and tired. In fact, Bilbo even says, drop this dwarvish racket. (laughs) Yeah, they get stuffed into wine barrels and he uses straw for some of them to make sure that they're, I guess, more padded. And this got me to thinking, are barrels airtight? And apparently they're not. But apparently they're watertight, which is not the case in this book. But I looked it up. My Google history is really interesting <laughs> because I I didn't know that barrels were airtight. So I looked up how long to suffocate in a <laughs> wine barrel. And I got a BuzzFeed list for nine stress relieving tactics to do if you were trapped in a wine barrel. Damn, BuzzFeed. <laughs> that was an insightful read. <laughs> But apparently something to do with when you're crafting a wine barrel, you you soak it in water for a certain period of time and that allows the wood to expand and then they glaze it or they paint it or whatever. And that makes the wood stay that shape. So it is, it isn't airtight because that allows the wine to breathe a little bit, but it is watertight, which I thought was interesting. I learned a lot about wine barrels. Let's just hope, though, that uh, you're not ever suspected in a crime and someone goes through your search history. <laughs> I'll just make sure I have a ton of wine on hand. I'll be like, I'm an alcoholic. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had to say it, though. <laughs> I uh, I also don't have any wine barrels in my house, so... <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> oh my gosh. So... They get packed into these wine barrels, and then Bilbo's like, oh, God, what about me? Because no one can pack him into a wine barrel, and then there are people coming. So he slips the ring on, and they start throwing the barrels into the water. They're like, these barrels are full, but one of the guys who was drunk is just like, no, those are the right barrels. I promise you those are the right barrels. And they're like, why are you drunk? And he's like, I just had a little bit of wine. And then they're like, you drank a whole beer sign of this wine. Like, what are you doing? He's like, it just tastes really good. Which, that's a whole interaction again that wouldn't be in a kid's book these days. (laughs) No, it's true. After insisting that those are the right barrels, they're like, whatever. I'm just being paid minimum wage. So they throw the barrels in the water. And the barrels start to float downstream and then bill was like oh god what about me so he clings onto a barrel that they're throwing in and they somehow don't notice like the extra splash or the fact that the water's not going around him i feel like this was the most unrealistic part of the book so far i guess alcohol was just a convenient explanation to explain the unusual physics of the barrel but not everyone was drunk the people throwing the barrels into the water weren't drunk well oh no wait no they did drink some 
they did drink a little bit, and as we all know, booze dulls one's vision and critical thinking skills. Yeah, okay, that's true. I think you're onto something there. So I guess I glaze over the fact that they also came up. They're like, hey, you're stupid. Hey, let me have some of that. <laughs> Once everybody has been tossed into the water and they're all floating down, everybody in general is pretty unhappy and they've heard the creak of the water gate being hauled up. Everybody's bouncing around together in the water. What a bonding experience. Hey, if you want to bond with your bros, this is the way to do it. (laughs) And eventually, they get out of the palace, everyone's escaped. Bilbo's just kind of chilling on one of these barrels, wondering where the hell everybody is. Mm -hmm. Some bobbed away, some are pretty low in the water, and he thinks that those are the ones where the dwarves are. And the poor guy is thinking, oh, I do hope I put the lids on tight enough. (laughs) Mm-hmm. No matter how much shit this poor thing has had thrown at him, he always thinks about everybody because he has a good heart. Mm -hmm. The current washes them away down the river and they end up close to shore at one point and they bump into a root. And so Bilbo jumps off his side of the barrel. He manages to pull everybody together somehow. Well, you know, staying out of trouble, which is honestly one of the few times I actually see him staying out of trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. The barrels float to the human town. Lake town. Down the river. Lake town. Yeah. I guess what happens is that the people in Lake town take the barrels and they wrap them together and then they send them farther downstream. It's kind of like a convoy system. Like, they have, every like, a bunch of groups stationed along the river to just keep them going the right way so they don't get lost mm-hmm. and separated. Apparently, they stay at this town for, like, a day or overnight or something, and Bilbo just kind of fucks off and steals some food, and that's the end of that chapter. And that brings us to chapter 10. Chapter 10, which is a warm welcome. Is it, though? <laughs> And my computer actually needs to reboot, so I'm just gonna quickly pause and run off and get my charger. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, you look kind of peppy. I am peppy because I just drank a cup of coffee from La Belle Rosette Espresso and Wine Bar. That's in Denver, right? Yep. We are located right across the street from the University of Denver. And do they have more than just espresso and wine? Yeah, we have breakfast burritos, paninis, pastries, teas. We have a lot. If someone was walking through Denver and let's say this person was me and let's say I wanted a panini, when is LaBelle open so I can go and get one? We are open from 7 to 5 Monday through Friday, 7 to 2 on Saturdays, 8 to 2 on Sundays. And if you use the code FPPODCAST, you'll get 15% off your order, whether you're in store or online at LaBelleRosette.com. That's a really good deal. Totally a good deal, and it's even a better deal when you get to see moi at the store. Is that a good deal? Uh, not really, but I actually need to head to work right now, because I'm going to be late. Oh. So I'm going to go. Go to La Belle Rosette. Go. Bye. Right now. Drop <laughs> everything. Go. Did you say you need to reboot your computer? No, I needed to just grab my charger, because chapter eight was long. <laughs> Yeah, so chapter 10, a warm welcome, maybe not a warm welcome. Yeah, not really. Kind of a lukewarm welcome. 
But in the end, though, it was kind of a relief, you know, to not be shoved in a barrel, bobbing along the water, wondering where the hell you are. Yeah. So now they get to Lake Town, which I think the other town that they stopped at in the previous chapter wasn't Lake Town. Yeah, this is definitely Lake Town now. The previous one was like some unnamed little settlement or something. It was kind of like a station of some sort. Yeah. They get washed up on the beach, they get cut apart, and Bilbo runs around popping everyone's lids off. Some of the dwarves are okay. Some of them are real beat up and really ungrateful because they've been probably floating down this river for like a day. So they haven't eaten and they've literally just been trapped in with their farts and wine barrels for a day, which sounds awful. Yeah. Ultimately, they make it to Lake Town in one piece, and Thorin is, he gets his new life back, but he's pissed off. They can see the Lonely Mountain now, which has been their ultimate destination, and Mm -hmm. it's very foreboding when one looks at it. Yeah, Bilbo is really anxious about it. He's like, oh god, wait, that's where we need to go? That's the mountain? That's it? The knowledge of knowing that a dragon is in there would give a very ill first impression. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) So they see that this is like a human town. Tolkien kind of has a little aside where he says that it's a legend that Thorin's... Is it his dad or his grandfather? Or both? It was both of them that it was his grandfather first as the king and then Thorin's father, and then that's when Smog came in and fucked it all up. He says that it's kind of a known legend, all that stuff, and it's also a legend that they'll be back to reclaim their stuff, so I think most of the men here are vaguely aware of what happened, but they don't really think about it every day. They used to, but as time went on, like, as the story gets told and retold, they kind of lost faith in the legend because by the time the the company arrives at Lake Town and an entirely new generation of humans now live in this mm-hmm. little place. And Thorin is, it's almost like he gets a little bit revitalized by the side of the mountain in the Lake Town. And mm-hmm. they, he, Thorin's people and the people of Lake Town, Thorin remembers because he's like, what, 150, 200 years old? Yeah, he's old AF. Yeah, he old AF. <laughs> and he goes in into the dale and he just goes in and be like, I am Thorin, I'm back. They talk to the guards at first and Thorin's like, it's me, hello, let me in. And Feely pulls a Karen. The captain says, well, we can't take you to our master because, you know, he's at a feast right now and it's really important that we don't bother him. And then Feely's like, well, then that's all the more reason for taking us to him. We are worn and famished after a long road and have sick comrades. Now make haste and let us have no more words or your master may have something to say to you. Hashtag Karen. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let me speak to the manager. (laughs) They are eventually brought to the master, which in the movie Mm -hmm. is played by Stephen Fry. Nice. Oh, yes. And they start explaining about what happened with the Elven King and how they were wrongfully waylaid without just cause. 
Mm-hmm. And it's really awkward because there are some elves there who are like, uh, those are our prisoners. And then Thorin's like, well, it's me. And then they're like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like that, it makes it sound like a sitcom. A very awkward one. <laughs> I-, I mean, that's kind of what happens, though. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And the master doesn't really believe Thorin. He's like, I guess I'll humor him because it's not going to be a huge deal. Yeah, it's not going to be a huge deal to me to just kind of, like, humor him and make sure he's good. But I kind of doubt he is who he says he is. So, you know, we'll we'll just kind of roll with it. It's fine. So everyone's super happy that they're back. They are put up in a swanky-ass hotel, basically, (laughs) that has everything they could ever want. And they're well-fed. And they get their clothes fixed, and they get their nails did, and they're just having a good time. They were all well taken care of, and there were some songs sang, and it's all- As there is in Tolkien books. (laughs) And if I remember correctly, Ed Sheeran did one of the songs about the Misty Mountain. Really? Oh yeah, I- I just particularly liked that rendition, so it just kind of popped into my head because the lyrics were read in this chapter. But during this party, the Wood Elves had gone back up the Forest River with their cargoes, and there was a lot of excitement because, well, the king realized, and everybody realized that the dwarves had escaped, and he was sad and kind of PO'd. He pulled his own version of a Karen because he wasn't going to get treasure. You mean I'm not getting a refund on this? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I demand better service. (laughs) (laughs) He gets suspicious because, like, he obviously knows about the Lonely Mountain and Smog, and he sends out spies Mm -hmm. up to the shores of the lake and as far northward towards the mountain as they would go. Mm -hmm. Two weeks pass after this, or a fortnight. I thought a fortnight was a month. Fortnite's two weeks. Is this the metric system? No, this is British. Oh. Same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody was super nice to them while they were staying in the town. And it was all well and good there. But But Thorne's like, well, I guess we need to stop putting off the inevitable. So we should probably go and figure out, you know, this whole mountain dragon thing. And then the master's like, wait, are you who you say you are? <laughs> so he, they get uh, new horses slash ponies, new provisions, and they're all set to go. And then they start heading to the mountain. And the master was not sorry at all to let them go. And the only person who was thoroughly unhappy was Bilbo. As usual. Always Bilbo. It's always Bilbo. Which brings us to chapter 11 on the doorstep, which is kind of cute because this is how this whole story started. (laughs) In the two days going, they rode right up the long lake and passed out into the river running. And they could see the lonely mountain in all of its lonely majesty. I thought it was really funny because they were originally escorted by a couple of men from the town and then after a couple days when they got too close to the mountain the men were like yeah you know i don't i don't really want to go any closer so you know we're just gonna we're just gonna 
I'm just gonna go back. And y'all got this, right? You got this. You good? <laughs> you don't need anything. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Okay. It was easier to believe in the dragon and less easy to believe in Thorin and those wild parts, for sure. Yeah. They basically get to the mountain and Tolkien kind of glazes over it because it's not super... There's not really... Uh, one thing that his writing style does that is super interesting is he... Which is a nice change after reading Twilight. Is that he glazes over things that aren't interesting. Where he's basically like, and eh, nothing really happened here, so I'm not going to talk about it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Unlike Stephanie Meyer. Who's like, it was sunny today. I'm like, and? And? <laughs> Bella was bored at school. Everyone loved her. For some godforsaken reason. <laughs> but she was so lonely because Edward wasn't there. And I'm like, and? <laughs> <laughs> oh, New Moon is gonna be fun. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> so they get to the mountain and... There's no sign of smog. And they're like, okay, this is weird because we thought there'd be a dr- heckin' dragon everywhere, but there's not. But I guess that's okay. So they get to the front gate of... Is it the front gate of the mountain or the front gate of Dale? It's the front gate of the mountain, right? They reach the skirts of the mountain all the same without meeting any danger or any sign of the dragon other than the wilderness he had made about his lair. So it's the front gate to the... Inside the mountain? They made it to a... Near a watch post called Raven Hill. But they didn't climb it yet because it was too exposed. Mm. And they started searching the western part of the mountain for the hidden door. Which all their hopes had rested on. Mm-hmm. And Thorin sent out a scouting expedition to the land of the south where the front gate was. Because they were looking for, you know, food and such. Oh, uh, okay, so they're just like, well, okay, we need some more supplies, and there's not really too much farther ahead we can go, so let's try to get our bearings and figure out what we're doing. Yep. No, Balin says, here lies all that's left of Dale, so it's the front gate of Dale. I read so fast. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> it's okay, I also read fast. That's why I take notes, because I remember plot points, but not details. I remember, like, an equal balance between plot points and details. I remember no details. I'm like, okay, they got to the mountain, and that's this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> but all of our podcasts would be literally two minutes long, so. And what's the fun of that? Uh, having a two-minute podcast? <laughs> Probably not much. It's easier for you to edit, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I say looking at the time going by, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, Audition it's- is telling me almost an hour and 45 minutes. We got this. We can do this. (laughs) They find this river. They don't really follow it because they're like, ooh, that goes to a scary opening and we're not all about that. And they're just trying to get provisions. Uh, They notice that there's smoke coming out of one of the holes in the mountain. And they're like, ooh, maybe it's an active volcano. Ooh, maybe it's a dragon. Or, oh no, maybe it's just like steam that happens to form in a mountain. They're all like, "Eh, it's a dragon. So they get... Real sad that the dragon is where they thought he was. Well, as anyone would do. As you do. They go back to the camp and they are trying to find an entrance into the mountain. And they can't really find anything. But they do find this 
weird ledge that when you go down to it, there's like this, what I can only assume is something vaguely similar to the rock that covered the place where Jesus was buried before Easter. (laughs) That's a bit of a macabre comparison. I imagine it's this big circular stone and it's covering this hole that goes to the mountain, but they can't move this stone. They try to whisper some enchantments to it and nothing really happens. They try to like physically move it and nothing really happens. So they're like, well, we we think we found this entrance, but we can't really find a way in. So what are we supposed to do? And Bilbo was frequently borrowing Thorin's map, trying to meet, read the moon runes from Elrond, trying to make sense of it all. But if you remember further back, like, it's all about the time of day and the light being able to, you know, decipher everything that's on it. Mm-hmm. So there's this little bird, this little songbird that's sitting there and Bilbo is sitting in front of the the rock door I guess for lack of a better word trying to figure out what how to get in because as we have previously established he is the brains of the operation Mm -hmm. and he looks at the little bird and he's like wait a second and he looks at the sun And something happens where, like, the bird and him have some kind of mutual understanding. And the bird does a little, like, bird chirp. And then the sun sends, like, a beam of light, (laughs) like a laser beam, to the door. And it knocks off some rock, which opens up a keyhole to a key that Thorne, I guess, apparently had. Which, again, unless my reading comprehension is bad, has not been brought up previously. So I'm like, where did this key come from? <laughs> Which, there's a possibility my reading comprehension is bad. So then Bibble's like, Thorin, 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 the key. Use the key in that hole over there. And Thorin's like, oh, okay. So he puts the, the key in the hole and the door, like, rolls open or swings open or whatever. And in is this dark and scurry looking tunnel. And that brings us to the end of the chapter yeah which also brings us to the end of this section wendy thank you so much for joining me on this version this fiddle version of fiddle and pipe (laughs) how was your experience being the co-host of a podcast episode this has been an absolutely fascinating experience i like the way that you can take like tolkien's world building and big detailed concepts that you can just like cut to the quick like that thank you i had a really hard time in that in chapter eight because it was really dense Mm -hmm. but beyond that i feel like it was it was pretty good thank you i'm glad someone appreciates what i do (laughs) i loved playing off of your insight this was fantastic do you have anything that you want to plug as always support your deaf and hard of hearing content creators i.e. Wendy. That too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been fantastic. If y'all want to follow us on Instagram, you can find me at bmrossmusic. You can find me at designerwithfire. You can find Catherine, even though she's fake and not on this podcast, at catflinchflute. You can follow the podcast at Fiddle and Pipe. Um, You can also find us on Facebook at Fiddle and Pipe Forum. Or not at, because it's Facebook. This is why I can't be in charge of doing all the announcements by myself. 
Um, it's a public group. Everyone should join. Also, if you love our podcast, you love what we do, you should check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash fiddle and pipe. We have two different tiers, reoccurring monthly sponsorships where you do get extra material on one tier for $2 a month. You have access to our bloopers and outtakes. And then for $5 a month, you have that. And then our additional happy hour podcast. And we will be unleashing a new tier soon that has books that we are covering that we aren't covering on this normal podcast. And we just recorded the first episode. Was it last week? Yeah. Yeah, it was you, me, Matt, and Catherine. That was a lot of fun. I don't want to give too many details yet, but y'all should definitely check that out. If you like what we do, but you maybe don't have the funds to help support or financially contribute right now, that is okay. We totally understand. Please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or, you know, sit your best friend down and be like, hey, you should listen to this. This is a really cool podcast. And I think that's it. Did you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up here? I just recently recommended Fiddle and Pipe to my youngest sister, who is also a musician herself, and she is now officially in love with you both. (laughs) Fantastic. See, this is the kind of energy we need from our fans. Round of applause for you, Wendy. Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on this. I cannot tell you how grateful I am, because I understand everyone gets sick from time to time. I'm not blaming you, Catherine. (laughs) Is she really? (laughs) I'm blaming you a little bit, but this would have been awful if I had to do this by myself. So thank you for stepping in and filling Catherine's role (laughs) temporarily. Hey, no worries. Anything I can do to help you guys out. You're the cat's meow. And on that note, we will go ahead and end and we will see you next week for The Hobbit chapters 12 and 16. Or not 12 and 16. That'd be weird. 12 through 16. Alrighty, folks. (laughs) Ciao. Alright. Bye. 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 Bye.